0: Well, we're glad that you joined us uh, today as we continue in our Magnum Opus series, whether you've been a longtime Christ follower, you're new to your journey, or maybe you're not even sure exactly of what you believe, or maybe you know you don't believe what we're talking about here today. You're skeptical, but somehow you got roped in to come in here, and so you're here. We're glad that all of us can gather together, and we hope uh, that this time is helpful to you. You guys know how lame it is whenever uh, you know, we men start bragging about how great we were at sports when we were kids, right? And you just hate that kind of stuff. I hate it. I'd never do it. But I, you are looking at the most incredible Little League pitcher you ever saw in your life. <laughs> and I can just tell you, I have the stats to prove it. I never lost a game in three years. Our games were six innings long. That means there was a total of 18 outs. I averaged striking out 15 batters a game. I feel like Bugs Bunny right now, you know, the maestro thing. I was the youngest all-star to ever play in the all-star game. I actually had the physical ability to play baseball. But then at age 12, we moved to San Antonio and I quit. And although I had tremendous potential, I never reached it. Now, if you're thinking, preacher, you're just an old man. Shut up. So what? So what? What does any of that matter? Well, I want to tell you what the so what is. It's that a bunch of us never reach our potential. Maybe you didn't do all that well at school. Maybe you never... Found that career that really motivated you, you know, that made you want to get up every day and, and, and go to work and give your very best. Maybe you're just in a nine to five job and, and you hate it, but you got to go because you're paying the bills and trying to get that done. Or maybe your marriage hasn't worked out the way that you thought it would when you got married on your wedding day, and it hasn't come out that way. You know, there are a lot of reasons why we don't reach our potential. Some of us think, well, I'm just not good enough, or we're afraid to try, or others are trapped by habits that just keep sucking the life out of you, but you can't seem to break those habits. We're going to talk more about that later on. Or maybe you just can't recognize opportunities whenever they come your way. So why is it that we struggle so much to reach our full potential? Well, about 10 years ago, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book that maybe some of you've read. It's called Outliers, the story of success. And Gladwell wrote in this book about people who exceeded the norm and reached their full potential. And his thesis was this. There are some people that when they get an extraordinary opportunity, they seize that opportunity and they make the very most of it. And he called those people outliers. Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft Corporation, was one of the examples that he talked about in his book. 90%, at one point, 90% of all home computers uh, operated based on uh, software that Gates and his company developed, and as a result, of course, he and his wife, Melinda, became incredibly wealthy, and today... Uh, they run the Gates Foundation and give away multiple millions of dollars every year in philanthropy. So how did Gates become an outlier? Well, in 1968, whenever he was in the eighth grade, he got an extraordinary opportunity. His mom and dad put him into a private school and this private school had a computer lab that unbelievably was connected to the mainframe computer of Seattle, Washington. What kind of eighth grader gets a chance like that? And so at age 16, Gates was programming eight hours a day, seven days a week. He said it became his obsession. He skipped athletics, he did it at night, he did it on the weekends. In fact, at one point, he found uh, some free time in a computer lab at the University of Washington, but that time was only available from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., and so Gates would get up every night and walk from his house, which wasn't that far, to the University of Washington where he could program between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Gates seized the opportunity that was given him, and as a result, he exceeded the potential that he had. And here's the point. While very few of us, maybe none of us, will ever be a Bill Gates, every one of us has opportunities. And those opportunities that you have represent potential for your life, And y'all, you have to seize them. Otherwise, you'll just be a wannabe talking about how great a baseball player you were when you were a kid. Now, that's where we are in our Magnum Opus series. We are at the wannabe stage of the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul said to us in Ephesians 2.10, he said, for we are God's masterpiece, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And you may remember that this word masterpiece translates the Greek word poiemo, which is only used two times in the New Testament. The first time Paul used it in Romans 1.20, it referred to God's creation of the universe, his masterpiece, his magnum opus, his greatest work. But then Paul said that whenever he created you and me and he redeemed us in Christ Jesus, we became his greatest work. And y'all, that means that as God's masterpiece, your life is full of potential, but in order for you to experience that potential and live it out and reach your full potential as the masterpiece that God designed you to be, you have to seize it. So how do we seize the opportunity to actually live as the masterpiece that God designed us to be? That's what we want to talk about today. Now, for the last three weeks, Brent and Sherry have been unpacking chapters four and five of the book of Ephesians. And there, Paul is telling us what we have to do to actually live like a masterpiece. And Paul says in chapters four and five that there are five things, five things that you and I have to do. And I want you to know, as an aside, that at this point in the book, Paul is addressing people who are Christ followers. He's addressing people who would say, yes, I've believed in Jesus. If you're here today and you say, I'm not sure I believe in any of this, it's okay. Or if you would even say, I'm pretty sure I don't believe it. I'm skeptical. That's that's fine. Just listen to what we're going to talk about today. And if any of it makes sense to you, I would ask you to have an open mind to consider what we're talking about. Now, Paul organized his thinking in chapters 4 and 5 around a single word. It's the word walk. The Greek word is peripateo. And he repeated this word five times in chapters 4 and 5. And it is very clearly how Paul structured his thinking. So we're not making these things up. It comes straight from What Paul said. And these are the five times that he used the word walk. It's a metaphor. It means to live like. First of all, he said, walk worthy of your calling. Then he said, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Walk in love, walk in light, walk circumspectly. And today we're going to review these four. I'm going to explain them to you again. And then we're going to look in more detail at what he meant when he said walk circumspectly. These are the five things that we have to do to reach our full potential as a masterpiece. And it's important for us to look closely at them because there's something I want to get across to you today. It's the big idea for this talk. What you do determines who you become. What you do determines who you become. And so the first thing that Paul says that we have to do is we have to We have to become mature if we want to live up to our potential. Here's how he said it. He said, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. And then Paul explained to us in the very next clause what maturity looks like. He said, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Whenever God saved you, he didn't just want to send you to heaven, he wants to make you into the image of his son. He wants you to look like Jesus. He wants you to live like Jesus. He wants you to act like Jesus. He wants you to do as a Christ follower what Jesus did. He wants you to live your life like Jesus. Him. and that means that you and I have to mature we have to grow we have to develop as a follower of Jesus and you' all this means for us that you and I are going to have to get serious about our faith in the way that Bill Gates was serious about computer programming I mean the dude gets up at 3 a.m in the morning to go to the lab to, to work you and I have to get serious we, it's not enough to simply dabble in our Christian faith. We have to pursue hard after Jesus if we want to reach our full potential and live as the masterpiece that he designed us to be. And this is why a few weeks ago Brent said that part of the reason that City Church exists is to help people enter into a growing relationship with Christ so that we can thrive in him. And the reason we do that is because what you do determines who you become. But there's a second thing that Paul also said. He said, if you want to pursue Jesus, there's actually something you're going to have to stop doing. Here's how he talked about it. He said, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer walk That's his second use of walk. No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, early in the series, I explained to us that the word Gentiles referred to a group of people who were excluded from God because of their birth. And as a result of this exclusion, it prevented them from reaching their full potential as a masterpiece. They were created in the image of God, but they were never redeemed by his son. And so if you and I want to reach our full potential, you and I cannot keep living in ways that exclude God from our lives. Habits that are excluding God have got to change because what you do determines who you become. And y'all just think about it. It makes sense, doesn't it? Here at City Church, we believe that God is the central being in the universe. We think this universe exists because of him. And so if you and I are going to live the best life that we can possibly live as humans, and most of us would love to do that, we think that God has to be central in our lives. And that's why you cannot live old habits that exclude him. Now, when we're talking about this, we're not talking about petty church rules. Trust me, I grew up in church, I care nothing for petty church rules. I'm not talking about mindless religious traditions. I'm not trying to make you into a religious person. We're talking about a relationship with the living God, the creator of the universe, in you living in close proximity to him in a deep abiding fellowship with him. And I just want to tell you. I got better stuff than that to say. Just wait, I mean. That's cool, bro. Some of you are stuck. That's not the better part. But some of you are stuck. You've believed in Jesus, but you're still living like you haven't. You still have things that you're doing, your old ways of living that are excluding him. You're still doing what Paul talked about. You are still walking as the Gentiles walk. And y'all, these routines have to change. Because here's what many of you don't realize these old habits are sabotaging your potential. You cannot live up to the full potential that God designed you to to live. And you wonder why your life doesn't work. And so I'm gonna tell you, you're doing dumb stuff. (laughs) Quit, stop, okay? Now, it's easy for me to say that, but how do we actually change? How do we actually stop doing the dumb stuff that excludes God from our lives? Well, Paul told us. We don't have to figure it out. He told us. He said, be imitators of God. God created you in his own image as a masterpiece. Imitate the God who made you. Well, that makes sense. That's easy, right? But it's not that easy. I mean, God's a pretty big idea. How am I supposed to imitate him? Paul tells us, and y'all just, uh, oh, this is just like the coolest word in this verse, isn't it? And. Okay, I'm gonna lay a little Greek on you here. In Greek, this is called an exegetical chi. That's pretty sexy, isn't it? (laughs) And here is an exegetical chi. And here's what it does. It explains By the phrase that follows, it explains what had just previously been said. So if you're saying, hey, Witty, how do I become an imitator of God? Paul tells us, walk in love. That means walk in love. But love is a pretty big idea as well. So then he comes back and he explains it even further. He says, just as Christ loved us. Well, how did he love us? He gave himself up for us. This is our word, paraditomy, from many summers ago. He gave his life away on the cross for you and me. If you want to be an imitator of God, if you want to change your old habits, begin to give your life away. Give your life away to your wife, give it away to your kids or to your friends, give your life away to that person at work that is lonely, that is struggling, that's going through something hard, and they need someone to listen to them. Take them to lunch and let them talk and buy their lunch for them. Give your life away. Give your money away. Be generous. Give your time, your skill set, your energy. Seize every opportunity to show love. Y'all, at City Church, we, as Christ followers, ought to be the example of what it means to love other people. We all all believe in that, and we all want that, and it sounds kind of easy to say in words, so why don't we all do it? Well, to live a life of love, you got to walk in the light. Here's how Paul said it. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, fourth time he uses it, as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Now, as Sherry said last week, if you want to live a life of love, you have to walk in the light. And to walk in the light means that you have to ditch the darkness. Remember she said that? And that means that unless your actions, the things you are doing, the things that are shaping who you become, unless your actions are good, unless they are right, unless they are true, then your actions are excluding God from your life because what you do determines who you become. And y'all, we have to understand that we cannot hang on to darkness in our lives and ever reach the potential of being the masterpiece that God created and redeemed us to be. Now, I have no interest in delving into your personal life, but I'm going to anyway. I've done that twice today, haven't I? I don't want to brag, but I did. Now I don't want to delve into your personal life, but I am. But I really not. But I just need to say something to you. Whenever the apostle Paul talks about changing your actions, he always focuses on two areas. He does it in every one of his letters. First of all, he talks about our sex lives. If you want to be the masterpiece that God designed you to be and if you want to reach your full potential, you have to walk, you have to live in sexual purity, in the light. And this is a problem for most of us because for many of us, before we came to believe in Jesus, we were already involved in sexual relationships with people that were not our husband or wife for life. And so that happened to Paul's readership as well in the days of the New Testament. And so Paul said to them, look, your sex life has to become pure. It has to be clean. It has to be good, right, and true. This is so fundamental to who you and I are that we cannot become the masterpiece God created us to be apart from that. It infects, It affects all of our relationships. And then the second thing he talked to us about are the words that we say. But those words are a window into your soul. The words that you and I speak, we speak them because of what's in us. And what's in us gets into us by the things we see and the things we listen to and what we participate in. And it affects how we think and it affects our emotions. So if what you're watching and listening to isn't good, right, and true, it needs to change because you will never reach your potential while you are still hanging on to the darkness. Now, some of you are thinking, Witty, I've been in the same old dark rut for so long. I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to change. I would like to, actually, but I don't know how to. So Paul tells us how we can do that. And it's his fifth use of walk. Here's what he said. He said, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, if I were reading this verse, first thing I would want to know is like, circumspectly. How many of you used that word this week? <laughs> Nobody. We're O for four services, <laughs> right? This is from the 17th century King James. But it's a good word. It means accurately. It means carefully. If you want to reach your potential, you have to live an accurate, careful life. Paul calls it being wise, and he contrasts it with being foolish. Now, it just so happens in the Old Testament that King Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, and one of his favorite topics was to talk about foolishness. How does a fool live? He used the word fool 34 times in his book. I just want to give you a few of kind of a summary of some of the things he said. He said, fools don't listen. They just talk. Fools bring trouble on their families. Fools are hot-headed, they love to argue. Gee. Fools are undependable. They say they're gonna do something, but they never come through. Fools don't learn from their mistakes, so they just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And here's the thing about it. Paul said that if you and I are foolish, that we are never going to live up to the masterpiece potential that God designed in us. And the reason is, is that fools always miss the opportunity that is before them. They always miss it. And so y'all, we need to pay attention because what you and I do determines who we become. So if you're foolish, how can you change? Paul told us, this word right here. You see, this word modifies this main Greek verb, walk. Redeeming. The word redeeming means to buy back, to buy something back, to get your life back. The way you walk wisely is you have to get your life back. It's like exchanging your life. Linda and I are remodeling a house right now and uh, for us to live in. And back in And Memorial Day in May, at the Memorial Day sale, I bought a washer and a dryer for this house, anticipating, you know, I'd get it delivered here pretty soon. But this last week, I found a better deal. So you know what I did? I called them up. I said, hey, I found a better deal. I haven't taken delivery yet. I'd like to exchange it and you refund my credit card. They said, no problem, Mr. Whitty. I exchanged it. Y'all, we do this all the time with stuff, right? I bought it, but I didn't like it because I found a better deal. Paul is telling you and me there is a better deal than the life we used to live when we excluded him. But to get that better deal, we have to exchange our lives. Exchange your finances, exchange your marriage. And by that, I don't mean get another one. (laughs) Just to be clear. Exchange your relationships, right? Get them back, buy them back. Do the things that make them healthy. Buy back your relationships with your parents, with your siblings, with people that you work with. Get your life back. Redeem it. But here's something you need to know about this. And you can't see it in English. But it's very clear in Greek. This word redeeming is in what grammarians call the middle voice. And the middle voice stresses agent. Who does it? And here's what it means it means that only you can redeem your life only you can reach your full potential no one else can make you mature no one else can make you ditch the darkness no one else can make you imitate god and give your life away It doesn't matter even if bad things have happened to you, unfortunate things, unfair things. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you've been addicted to cover a pain in your life. Maybe your track record with relationships is horrible. Maybe you're just angry. Maybe you're just hard to live with. I mean, like nobody even wants to be around you. You wonder why you always eat lunch alone. No matter how much your wife wants you to change, no matter how much your mother wants you to change, no matter how much your friend wants you to change, your boyfriend or your girlfriend, they cannot exchange your life for you. Only you can do that. Only you can reach your potential. But y'all, if you think about it, that's a pretty heavy load to bear. So is there any help? Well, there is help. And the Apostle Paul gave it to us. You don't have to exchange your life alone. Now, I don't have a slide to show you this, so you're gonna have to try to imagine in your mind. We are looking at a passage. If you've ever opened a Bible and looked at it, there's paragraphs in it. We're looking at a paragraph today. And in this paragraph... Paul uses 13 verbs. Remember verbs are action words? Remember that? See John run, John ran, you know, see John jump, John jump. Action words. Paul used 13 of those. In this paragraph that we're looking at today, every one of them is in the plural. That's unusual. In the plural. That means that he was speaking to a group, not to an individual. However, in the paragraphs prior to our paragraph today, he uses singular verbs. And in the paragraphs following our paragraph today, he uses singular verbs. Very clearly, Paul shifted on purpose to plural verbs that speak to a group. Why did he do that? Because the apostle Paul was telling us that no one can reach their potential alone. It takes others. No one becomes great in isolation. No one thrives single-handedly. No one flies solo. No one succeeds unassisted. No one reaches their potential alone. Only you can reach your potential, but you cannot do it alone. You need a team. It's why LeBron went to L.A. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> LeBron's the greatest player of I mean, in the, at this present time in basketball. I was going to say of all time, but I didn't want to start an argument. Jordan. No. <clears throat> he could have gone anywhere. He would get a max contract anywhere. Why did he go to L.A.? I think if I go to L.A., I can get on a team and we can win. LeBron knows he can't become great alone. It's why you got married. Some of you woke up this morning saying, now, why did I get married? (laughs) You got married because you thought it would be better to live with someone and build a life with someone than to live alone. It's why kids need a parents at home. It's why children need to grow up in a family. It's why we all want good friends. Paul knew it takes a team. No one can reach their potential alone. And so y'all, today I am asking you to do this. I'm asking you to get connected with a group of people who will help you exchange your life so that you can reach your full potential as the masterpiece God designed you to be. Get together with a group of people who have decided that they're going to do the five things that you have to do to reach your full potential. Get with a group of people who are pursuing Jesus hard. Get with a group of people who have said, we're gonna change the habits that are excluding God from our lives. Get with a group of people that that are giving their lives away and you give your life away with them. With a group that are ditching the darkness and do that with them. With a group that are exchanging their lives and buying them back. You guys know this, don't you? Yeah, that was one of the better things I was going to tell you. If you've ever read anything about changing your habits, you know that whenever you change a habit, you have to put something else in its place, right? It's not just enough to stop doing stuff. You got to start doing something new. And maybe you've read before that the people you hang out with, you're going to become like them in five years, right? This is commonly known. Get with a group of people that will help you do this so that you can reach your potential. And I just want to say to us what I think you may know. This might be difficult. But but every journey begins with a single step. It takes a single step to start this journey. You know, last year in September, I... We'd just come back from our annual Oregon elk hunt. And some of you'll remember that I had surgery for some cancer. And I was pretty amazed at how hard it was to walk. I mean, that's what Paul's talking about, how we have to walk. I was pretty amazed at how hard it was to walk. I I always, in August, always start getting ready for my elk hunt and, you know, I'm doing CrossFit and shooting my bow and doing all this stuff, getting in shape, dieting, losing weight. Can you tell I'm skinnier? All that kind of stuff. Somebody say yes. Yes. Okay. Now I can go on. <clears throat> and, and so we went on this elk hunt and then for two weeks, we just chase elk into canyons, out of canyons, up and down, you know, we're walking. And when I come back from this elk hunt, I'm always just so strong. I'm in the best shape of the year. So three days after that, we had this surgery and, you know, uh, used to, after you would have surgery, they just sort of let you lounge around the hospital for a few days. Now your nurse, like, she wants you up. You know, she's a sergeant and wants you walking right away. So she makes me get up. So I'm trying to walk, and I'm just shocked at how I can hardly shuffle along. And so she pushes me practically out in the hall. Maybe it wasn't that bad, but it felt like it. And so I'm going down the hall, and the nurse's station is right back over here. And I'm wondering, oh, man, is my gown clovering anything in the back, you know? But then I didn't care because I was on morphine. It didn't make any difference. (laughs) And and, and then I'm, I'm hanging on to this IV pole. You know those IV poles are rickety? And they got your IV bag hanging on it. And I had a couple other bags. I got a catheter and all this. And I'm trying to shuffle along. And I can barely take one step. Well, that's how making changes in our lives can be. It can be really hard. And that's why you can't do it alone. Now, there are a lot of ways to connect here at City Church. You can get involved in our recovery program. It's called Peel the Onion, PTO. It meets on Tuesday nights. In, in late, yes, in late, sep- <laughs> you're such good salespeople. <laughs> in late September, I'm starting a, another a class again, the starting point class again. If you're interested in kind of looking at faith and what does it mean to believe in Jesus. We're going to be looking at that for eight weeks. Uh, Our marriage program starts up in early September. If you're struggling in your marriage, you could get help with it there. Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey you can do that here. Community night on Tuesday nights. If you need to get with another group, it's the quickest way to meet new people and get involved with them. Y'all, whatever you do, take your next step. After the service, I'm going to be out in the middle pavilion with Jerome and Johnny. And and if you want to talk to us, if you're new here, we'd love to meet you. If we can help you get connected and take your next step, we want to do that. But whatever you do, take your next step. Walk. Because what you do determines who you become. So, Heavenly Father, we pray That you would help us become the people that you created and redeemed us to be. It's what we all want. We want our lives to work. We want life to be good. We think you created us to live well. And so, Lord, it's what we want to do. We pray that you would help us in this journey. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.